eternal God, our Father, you are indeed wonderful. We seek to describe your excellency. You have always been faithful, always been kind, always been merciful. You are wonderful to your children. God, as we seek to bless your holy name, we thank you, O oh God, for your goodness and your mercy. In fact, O oh God, you've been better to us than we've been to ourselves, better to us than we deserve. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather one more time. I pray, oh God, that you will bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. God, allow it to be acceptable in your sight. Father, you're my strength and my redeemer. And oh God, now I bless you for the treasure that you've placed in earthen vessels, that the excellency of your power that is not of us may be fulfilled even in these moments. Father, I pray that you would punish not your people for the frailty of your preaching. Help me to say it the way you want it said. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate God together one more time? Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles this morning as we prepare to hear what the Lord would have to say to us to the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter. Gospel of Mark, second book in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, chapter 4. I want to read a familiar text that you're hearing this morning, verses 35 through 41. Mark, the fourth chapter, verses 35 through 41. When you have it, why don't you stand to your feet and say, Amen. Need some more time to say, Hold up, wait a minute. All right, I heard you. I'm holding, I'm holding. I want us all to be together. We're waiting. I want to remind you to keep our brother David Banks in prayer this week as he is dealing with the loss of his father. Amen. That's why we don't see David and Sheena today. I said God will keep them girded and covered. Amen. Mark the fourth chapter, verses 35 through 41. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. We have these words recorded. On that day, when evening had come, he said to him, to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him, or they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great storm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Verse 38, but he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amen. Morning, I want to preach with this thought in mind. Lessons I've learned in the storm. Lessons I've learned in the storm. Our passage today, my brothers and sisters, is an episode in the life of Jesus that unfolds uh, to his disciples and therefore to you and I the reality that storms are teachable tools in the hand of God. And I want us to be clear, my brothers and sisters, that you and I should not be shocked by storms. 
Jesus says, in this life you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He's speaking about storms. Psalmist David declares, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Storms. Peter declares to you and I, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you as though something strange has happened to you. My friends, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, storms are a regular reality in your life. And so if you and I can just get over the initial shock and chagrin of the storm, if I can stop singing the woe is me that comes naturally to my human mind when I'm in a storm, if I can somehow just get over the sense that storms are a sign of a divine abandonment and I come to a place where I realize if I'm in a storm, God must be trying to teach me something. If I can get to a place where I recognize the regularity of storms because I am a child of God, I will not get in a storm and question God's divine affection for me, but rather I will discover that God has an intent, a purpose, and in fact some lesson I have to learn which necessitates a storm because let me remind you that there are some things about God that you cannot learn while the sun is shining. There are some things about God that you can't learn while your arms calm seas. There are some things about God you can learn while everybody likes you and you got money in your pocket. No, child of God, some lessons you and I can't learn when our bodies feel good and while peace reigns all around us. No, some lessons are only learned when the ship of my soul is rocking to and fro because the winds of my circumstances are beating up against my life. And I'm suggesting to you this morning that if you're following Jesus, you're going to encounter some struggle and some storms. And in fact, if life is simple and easy, it's probably because you're still safe on the shore, not journeying on the sea to get where God wants you to go. Amen. Our text today teaches us that God has a sovereign purpose for every problem. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says to his disciples at the entrance of our text, let us go or let us cross over to the other side. Please know that being in the ship, on the sea, with the storm, is Jesus' idea. This is not merely a suggestion from the Savior. This is an instruction and, in fact, a command. He's telling his disciples that this is the direction for the destiny of your life. Jesus, in his sovereignty, knows that the storm is coming and yet tells them, beloved, to get in the boat and let's go across to the other side anyway. Here we go. Here we go, church, that there if you, they are in a storm not because they are outside of the will of God. They are in a storm not because they have disobeyed Jesus. They are in a storm not because Jesus has given a command that they refuse to obey, but rather they are in the storm because they are following Jesus' instruction to the letter. And in this way, for many of us, storms ought to be evidence that where we are is right where we're supposed to be. 
Perhaps I'm talking to you and you're wondering why your finances are stormy, why your marriage seems stormy, why your friendships are stormy, why your children are acting stormy, why your health perhaps is being stormy. Can I say it's because you are on your way to where God wants you to be and there is no way to get to destiny without dealing with difficulty. And so when I get in the storm, rather than cry and complain and moan and say, why me? I ought to celebrate that the storm is simply an affirmation that the hand of God is on my life. It would be easy. It would be easy if I were outside of the will of God. It would be simple if you were trying to do the will of God life would be a whole lot easier if you would stop trying to live in the way the Lord wants you to live. But because you have decided to follow Jesus, the water will rise and the winds of life will blow. So, so he gets them in the storm and then he teaches them some lessons about change. Jesus uses the storm to teach them about his sovereign power to change things. He then changes three things. He says, first of all, I can change your condition. Here they are on the boat. They're in the storm, waves breaking into the boat. The boat was already filling. Verse 38 says, he's in the stern asleep on a cushion. He's sleeping through the storm. Uh, but, but, but there, there's some tension in the text because the disciples aren't sleeping. They are panicking in the storm. They are trying to pitch water out of the boat while at the same time trying to row their way through the storm. There they are on the Sea of Galilee, on the Lake of Genesaret, and there in the middle of the sea, pitching and rowing, pitching and panicking. They're pitching and panicking. They're trying to get the water out, but their efforts to get the water out cannot match the efforts of the water that's getting in. They're pitching and panicking, and Jesus is sleeping. And listen, I don't know, I don't know if you've ever been there, but there have been times in my life like these disciples where it seems like during the worst season of struggle of my life, I'm frustrated by a sleeping Savior. I mean, Jesus, y'all don't want to be real in here today, but, but, but Jesus, you know the rent is due on the first of the month. You know the mortgage is already late. Jesus, you know I've been dealing with this disease for a significant amount of time. Jesus, And he needs physical rest. He sleep. But then they wake him up and he hears their panic. 
and his mercy reflex kicks in. And the Bible says he woke up, but Jesus didn't grab a bucket to help them pitch the water out of the boat because when you're Jesus, you don't use natural means to solve natural problems. When you're Jesus, you don't need normal means. You do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. So Jesus, rather than pitching out water, he can stop the storm with the word out of his mouth. He rebuked the wind and the waves and the sea and said, peace, be still. The wind ceased. And there, the Bible says, was a great calm. Can you see it? Here they are pitching and panicking, and the man, Jesus, is asleep. He's, he's mad enough to sleep, but he's still God enough to speak. He, and the man is asleep on the pillow, but God is enough God to stand up on the stern and tell the winds and the waves to lay down. This, this idea of peace be still is really the idea of silence and the singings of the storm. Watch me, because winds and waves have a voice in your life, don't they? The winds and the waves are telling Peter, James, and John, y'all ain't gonna make it. The wind and the waves are saying you're gonna drown right here. The winds and the waves are saying you can't handle life. The winds and the waves are saying this in the end. And Jesus stands up to shut up those conditions in your life that are causing you to doubt your destiny because he said, I said, we're gonna make it through to the other side. And the winds and the waves are telling you you ain't gonna make it. morning you will not drown here it's it's difficult but you're not going to drown you're crying but you're not going to drown you're frustrated but you're not going to drown you're scratching your head but you're not going to drown your friends are telling you to give up but you're not going to drown because Jesus can change your condition with just one word he can take you from broke to abundance with one word. He can take you from sickness to health with just one word. He can take you from loneliness to contentment with just one word. He can take you from sorrow to joy with just one word. He can take you from joblessness to full-time employment with just one word. Jesus, wake up in somebody's life and speak to their wings. He, 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 he can change your condition. But, but not only that, Jesus can also change your concerns. Two questions in the text that are the reality of concern. Here it is, verse 38. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you care? That's the first question. But, but because the storm has a way of making you question divine affection. The storm has a way of making you think that Jesus doesn't care. I mean, after all, if he really loved me, why am I going through like this? But the second question and the text is at the end of verse 41, and it's no longer a question of care, but it's a question about identity. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I like the old King James Version right here that says, what manner of man is this? He changes my concern while I'm in the storm. 
Watch me here, watch me here. My initial response to the storm is to question his care. I, I wanna know, does he care about me? Because if he cares, why am I going through this like this? If he cares, why are things the way they are? If he cares, what is the nature of my struggle? Because if he cares, shouldn't the sea be calm? And can I tell somebody who's going through this morning, he cares. You're here today because he cares. You have a reasonable portion of health and strength because he cares. You have clothes on your back and, 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 and food on the table because he cares. He, he, he cares because he's watched you through what you've been through and to where he used nature and he's not let the enemy kill you thus far. You don't have to question whether or not he cares. In fact, I'd argue the opposite. He cares too much to keep you from the storm. Amen. You always sail on still seas, then you need to question if he cares. But if you struggle through storm, then you ought to celebrate the fact that storms are the confirmation of the concern of God. He cares. Yeah. You just nudge your neighbor and tell him he cares. He cares. Their concern is, do you not see that we are perishing, watch their concern, Jesus. We don't know if you care because we're dying. Jesus says, peace be still. Right. Watch him, he says, why, why, why don't you have any faith? They're concerned about whether or not he cares because of their own assessment about the strength of the storms in their life. God help me to preach, did you hear what I said? They're concerned about whether or not he cares because of their own assessment about the strength of the storm in their lives. They think the storm can kill them. In fact, they think the storm is killing them. Jesus, we're dying in the storm, they say. Here it is. You have the wrong set of concerns when you self-assess the strength of your storm because you are not in charge of storms. You ain't qualified to test the strength of your storm or to predict the outcome of the storm. You don't know if the storm is gonna kill you. You don't know if the storm is gonna take you out or drown you crazy. And because you have misassessed what the storm can do, you have misassessed whether or not Jesus cares about you. Let me remind you that the word he gave to you before you got in the storm was that you're going to make it to the other side. And so, if the prediction of Jesus is that you're going somewhere, why would you let what you're going through on your way to where you're going to cause you to doubt the divine affection of the God who's taking you through the storm? So teacher, teacher, do you care? That's not the question. The question that the storm then should cause me to ask is, who is this Jesus? Because as much as I think I know about him, he uses storms to reveal characteristics and aspects of himself that could not be revealed on still seas. This then changes my question from the concern of Jesus, do you care? To the character of Jesus, who is this? When, when I see his power over my problem, it causes me to want to know him in a better way. I'm saying that the storm is simply designed to get you to the place where you stop being comfortable.
comfortable in what you already have learned about Jesus, what you already think you know about Jesus, because the storm is designed to teach you that you don't know much about him as you think you know. And so you have to continue to seek to know him in a better way. And sometimes the only way that can happen is if he takes you through the storm. Is there anybody in church on a Sunday who can say, I want to know him in a better way? Come on. I want to know him deeper and closer. I want to know him better. That's what the storm does in my life. It creates a fresh sense of curiosity about the, about the character of Christ. Paul says, I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Being made conformable unto his death. That, that, that's when you consider the question, what kind of man is this? What kind of God can take the dust of the earth and create mankind? What kind of God can look beyond my faults and zero in on the bullseye of my needs? What kind of God can take a wretched, low-down person like us and use us for his glory? What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. He can change our condition. He can change our concerns and ultimately then he uses the storm to change our character. Uh-oh. He uses the storm to change our character. Verse 40 says, he says to them, why are you so afraid? There's a Greek word for fear that speaks of cowardice. In the storm, they were being cowards. They were being pumped out by the storm. They got in the storm and they misassessed the strength of the storm. And we know that because when they wake Jesus up, they say, we are perishing. But Jesus never puts perishing power in your problem. Mm. For those of you who have an opinion party, for those of you who are falling out and carrying on, for those of you who got the, who got the mask on in church and you look strong, but you're falling out at home, God never puts perishing power in your storms. So don't assess that because it's too big for you, it's too big for God. So, so they were afraid, they, they were cowards, but after Jesus rebuked, uh, why, why, why don't you have any faith? Yet the Bible says that they were then filled with great fear. You gotta be careful here because those words afraid and fear are not the same words, not the same concept. Afraid in verse 40 is a cowardly fear. That second fear, this is great Fear in the word phobia, it's a specific fear. Before Jesus comes to storm, they are cowards, but after he speaks, they develop a specific fear. They're not afraid of everything. They fear one thing, and his name is God, and the person of Jesus Christ is a reverent fear. It's an awe, it's a humbling fear. See, when you when you get over being a scared of storms, you can get to a place where you are a person who can revere the Savior. Here's life. Here's life right here in a nutshell. Life is lived in one or two fears. You're either fear or you're afraid of stuff. Or, or you are fearing the Savior. You got to trust in the day, church, to leave this place scared of your circumstances or confident in your Savior. Did you hear what I said? You got two choices. You can either live here scared of your circumstances or confident in your Savior and reverent in your Savior who can handle any circumstance so that I don't have to worry about 
living my life in the reverential awe of the Savior of humanity. So then my brothers and sisters, what comes out of the storm is that when I face my worst fear naturally, and I see Christ conquer my fear, I realize there's really nothing to be afraid of. That, that's what you ought to tell somebody. When you've got Jesus on your boat, there's nothing to be afraid of. Let the winds come. Let the storms arise. Let the lightning flash. Let the rain fall. Let the thunder roar. When you've got Jesus in your boat. Texas is trying to tell us, tell you and I, that, that you don't have to be afraid of anything that has to obey Jesus. That Jesus is Lord even over the wind and the waves. He's Lord over unemployment. He's Lord over cancer. He's Lord over criminal court. He's Lord over divorce court. He's Lord over bankruptcy court. He's Lord in every circumstance and in every way. Jesus is in control. They feared him with the right kind of fear. God kind of feel worship kind of fear. They are in awe of God. My brothers and sisters, sometimes you and I can treat God like he's so mundane, like he's so regular, so run-of-the-mill, so normal, normal, so commonplace that he's got to put you in a storm to remind you of how awesome he really is. That's all the Texas singing church. That, that Jesus is trying to tell you or get you to a place where you know what worship looks like. He's trying to get you from wrong fear to right fear so that you can see through the example of the storm what a worship is supposed to look like because uh, the storm ought to teach us how to worship. The storm is raging, the wind is blowing, the waves are tossing high, and Jesus says, shut up and sit down. And they immediately sit down. Child of God, if the sea has enough sense to listen to the Savior, how much more should you and I have enough sense to listen and obey? Is there anybody in here today who can testify you've had some fears before you met Jesus? But since you're getting to know him better, you are discovering that everything you are afraid of has to bow down in humble submission. That's why the storm ought to teach you how to worship. Because the storm that we're afraid of has to obey Jesus. How much more should those of us who've been called out by grace and liberated by mercy and saved from our sin and washed in the blood bow down? They were filled. They were filled with great fear. Said to one another, who then is this? And I wonder if there's anybody in here who's got a few answers to that question. Who is it? If you really know him like you say you know him, then you ought to be able to testify that he's a doctor in the sick room, lawyer in the courtroom, bridge over troubled water, always making a way out of no way. He's my friend when I'm lonely. He's my company keeper late in the midnight hour. Come on, he's everything that I need when I need him. I don't know what he is for you, but I know who he is for me. God is the joy and the strength of my life. Moves all pain, misery and strife. Promise to keep me, never to leave me, never ever fall and show. 
to drown. The storm tried to take you out, but it kept you from drowning, kept your head above the water, kept you from being pulled in the current of distress. He kept you, and perhaps there's somebody on your own, smack dab in the middle of a storm, and they need to be encouraged. They need you to preach to them. They need you to help me close this sermon. So I've got some questions that you need to answer so they'll know that you've been there before, but you made it to the other side. Won't God keep you? Won't he sustain you? Won't he hold you together? Won't he bring you through?